You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Well, folks, you're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. I am in Oklahoma City as this podcast is being released. Very excited. I am going to be shaking hands with a number of you. And for the rest of you, just know that I wish I was. I am very excited to tell you that we are moving into another phase of, you know, how we're building out Bride Ministries. And I made this announcement before, but I like to repeat myself. We're going to be doing a mentorship program. And I am right now working on creating that. But essentially what I am looking to do is raise up, train up, and equip other people to minister the way I do. In other words, to know how to use my prayers, to minister to parts, to minister to the human spirit, to uh, collapse other realms and dimensions with uh, effectiveness and precision and the whole bit, right? And so uh, what I'm looking at right now is about a one-year program where uh, we're going to be doing different things. Um, look forward to this in the next month or so. We're going to be doing our best to get up a uh, application process at our website, BrideMinistriesInternational.com. And uh, there will be a cost involved because it will require quarterly travels to Dallas where we're going to be doing uh, live trainings for you know a period of four or five days at a time once a quarter, four times in a year. And it also required the completion of the Bride Ministries Institute. Now, uh, we're still, you know, refining the cost plan and everything. Like, we're, we're, this is all in development. And so uh, I can't give you any news on that front. But what I can say is I am very excited because, well, discipleship is big on the heart of the Lord and there are just not enough of me to go around for all of the need that there is. And so others must be raised up. I am so excited for those of you that continue to support us financially because of all of the testimonies that we have been getting this year about financial breakthroughs and end of delay. And my wife and I have our own list of financial breakthroughs that we are enjoying right now. And I'm just praising God for all of the good news. The Bible is, 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 true when it says give and it shall be given unto you pressed down shaking together and running over will god cause men to give into your bosom for those of you that listen to this and you appreciate this ministry you feed on it you know that this message that we carry needs to go out to the world i want to encourage you just go to brideministries.com sow a seed it's 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 extremely easy so anyway with that said Thank you, donors. Thank you, supporters. And thank you, listeners. Those of you that pray for us. And while I have other things to say, you know what? We're just going to get right to this podcast. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Well, folks, it's good to be back with you on Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. I have a good friend with me today, Paul 
Tot, who is a practicing barrister, or what we would call in the States, a lawyer. He is also the senior pastor of Gateway Church in Adelaide, and he ministers both at home and abroad, and frankly, seems to be traveling more extensively year after year. He is a very learned man of the word. Every time I talk to him, it is a exegetical nosedive. Well, <laughs> you can find his website at paultothill.com. Paul, welcome back to Discovering Truth. Thanks, Dan. It's good to be with you. Well, it's good to have you back. Every time we get on here, we have a really good time. It's been too long, I think. Uh, the last time we had you ministering was at our church. Yep. Like, to introduce last year, 2018, but um, we've kept in fellowship. There have been some really big things that have happened in Australia. And I want to begin talking about that because in 2016 here in the U.S., we witnessed Donald Trump win the presidency over Hillary Clinton in a come from behind against all odds type of victory, leaving everyone scratching their heads and saying, how did this happen? And of course, all of us that were doing massive prayer and in the spirit and doing the business of God knew that there were some powerful movements in the spirit that made room for certain things to take place. Well, recently in Australia, a gentleman by the name of Scott Morrison has been elected as prime minister. And in our newspapers, they're comparing that victory to Donald Trump's victory, among yeah. other things, saying, how the heck did this happen? Paul, yeah. I, I just want to get an insider's perspective, right? So you're over there. You're looking at this thing from the spirit. Uh, you're under that government. Talk to us. What's going on? Well, I, I think the comparisons are, are fair comparisons, and that's certainly... Uh, a lot of the mainstream media are drawing the similar comparisons here in Australia. I think the story begins with uh, Adam Thompson prophesying some time ago that when Scott Morrison became the leader uh, of the coalition of the Liberal Party through the taking out of um, Turnbull, the then Prime Minister, and there was a lot of ruckus about that. The idea of having a Christian uh, spirit-filled Prime Minister to Christians was a very exciting prospect. But the common folk law was that he did a bit of a Stephen Bradbury. Now, Stephen Bradbury is the guy that won gold uh, for Australia at the speed skating many, many years ago at the Winter Olympics because everyone fell over and he just kept on his skates and he won. So uh, it was basically like everyone was falling over and um, Scott Morrison skated through. And the media basically wrote him off. The opinion polls didn't really shift. Um, and it looked like it was going to be like a Hillary done deal. It looked like Labor and Bill Shorten were going to come in. And um, the, Adam Thompson brought a prophetic word. He had a dream of the Lord and, and it received press. It received press in The Guardian and other places. And he said, the Lord said to him that the door was open, but it wasn't a done conclusion and the, and the church needs to pray. So there was, you've got, to, you've got to imagine all the talk, even during election night, even the polling night, all the media were saying, Labor's going to get in. It's going to be a landslide to Labor, Bill Shorten. You know, and it, it was just no way that 
Bill, um, Bill Shorten was going to lose. And for our listeners, can you just tell us, okay, so, so we get Scott Morrison is a Christian. Yeah. What were some of the policies that Shorten was? Uh, you, you, would, you would relate. Well, we, we would say that they took up the Democratic left policies okay. of very strong uh, on the environment. They wanted to tax uh, retirees. They wanted to shift taxes. It was what Labor said was a bold policy decision. But it went so far left, Australia said, we're not going there with you. And one of those consequences of going that far left, much not unlike what the Democrats uh, are in fracturing over right now in America, is that we were going to lose religious freedoms. And the pushback by the silent Australians was very, very strong in saying, we don't want this in our nation. This is... This is not who we are. And the media have come out in a, in a post-poll analysis and, and said Australia is a centre-orientated politically. It, it wants certain values preserved. It wants certain rights preserved. And we don't have a constitution in the same way America does to preserve those rights. So the way we have to act is through the opinion polls. And so because of the hard left push and what it would mean economically, uh, and, and to freedoms, and in particular, freedom of religion, there was massive protest to say, we're not going that way. And it raises another question about polling generally and how conservatives are free to express their views in a polling survey in any event. And so what's happening is people are more reluctant because, not to the extreme of America, but certainly it was trending that if you're a conservative and you voiced any idea about religious freedom and saying, well, climate change, let's look at the science of it rather than the rhetoric about it. And is, is there such a thing as sustainable development? Yes, there is. So <clears throat> when, you, when you start looking at these things, Australia said, well, you know, we're concerned where you're going and we're not going to vote for you. That was, that was massive. And the greatest swing was in a state called Queensland where the Adani mine um, and coal mining was going to go ahead. And the swing against Labor, the Labor heartland there was significant to the point where the premier of that state made an immediate decision after the polls to say, we need to get back with Adani and reconsider our position about this coal mine. So Australia shifted its position through the electorate back to a centre, excuse me, back to a centre position, not a left position, not an economic dry position, but saying we want to merge economic development with environment. We want social issues dealt with and we want to be able to work and get the reward for our work. We want opportunity and we want religious freedom. We want the values that we say are uniquely Australian. So if in that sense, it was, it was a profound profound miracle. And, and Scott Morrison on election night called it a miracle. He called his win a miracle. And I mean, obviously we were very excited by, by that because there was deep concern, not just amongst Christians in the nation, yes. but amongst ordinary Australians who saying, hang on a second, what's the problem with Christianity? Doesn't Christianity do good for us? Yeah. There's been some problems and there's been an inquiry and there's, being certain abuses that have taken place. And that's embarrassing, let's face it. 
but there's something about the Australian people to say, we want our freedoms. We, we, we need to preserve these things. So it, it's a challenge for us because I think the church is still on the fringe. I think we're in a post-Christian, post-modern world. But if we see this as spiritual, not just political, we start to step into understanding what's going on worldwide. Mm. And, and, and certainly the parallels between the United States of America uh, and, and Australia are quite significant in that sense. So where are they linked? Why, why would the Labor Party take such a position? And, I'm, and, and I love American politics and I, and I watch it with keen interest. And I, I find the parallels for me so interesting. I'm going, what is the connector? Why would you go there? Why would you depart from your normal position to take up that position? What else is in play? I'll, I'll tell you, um, for me, when I saw Donald Trump get elected, I felt that the pendulum had swung away from what we here call the deep state, which is an international cabal of criminals. And uh, many of them are tied to Illuminism and all kinds of other stuff. And, uh, when Trump got elected, it was like the, 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 the pendulum just began to swing in the other direction. And since then, from my seat, I'm looking at the cabal losing power. Now, we have a whole phenomenon over here, and I'm just going to bring it up. They call it Q. I don't know if that's hit Australia. Yeah, and QAnon. Yeah, we're aware QAnon. of that. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And, and, and he's been, you know, basically putting together, weaving together a storyline. And so people are following this storyline and they say, you know, there's some stuff going on that indicates uh, real big power players at the top of evil hierarchies are not getting their way. Hmm. And so when I see what happens in your government and Scott Morrison take the win, I know that the evil players at the top of these wicked hierarchies do not want a Christian prime minister in a country with as much significance and weight as Australia, period. And to yeah. me, it's like, okay, at a very high level, it's been another blow to the cabal. Sure. But it, it and, and for me, I mean, um, <laughs> just interesting to watch. I mean, it was quite funny in Australia, you know, some of the posts were Russian collusion, you know, <laughs> like, so <laughs> <laughs> that was quite funny. You know, how could Bill Shorten lose? Well, Russian collusion. So, but the, the phenomena is wider spread than even Australia and America. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you look at um, what is going on in Britain now, the EU elections, you're looking at France, Macron, uh, again, the right is getting up. The, there, is, there is a shift that is protesting uh, against what, what some media would call the leafy uptown intellectualism of far left politics. Uh, and, and, and we see this phenomena emerging across nations. So in where certain votes are gathered, you, in America, it's in New York and in Los Angeles, highly Democrat um, cities, and they, they say they determine the, the thinking, the group thinking for America. And Americans say, well, no, you don't. And in the same way, 
there's, there's a thought published in one mainstream uh, media outlet here, newspaper, that the same kind of thinking, urbanised thinking, was going on in Australia. We see it in Brexit. We see the Londoners saying we want to stay, the rest of uh, Britain saying that we want to go. We want out. We want to control our borders. We want to come back to different values. You see the same pushback with Macron and and the Parisians versus the rest of the country um, of of France. And so this phenomena is worldwide. And my own view is that it is part of another underlying spiritual agenda that is playing out. And regrettably, the church has been rather naive about linking these things together. And that largely is because the church has not taken a, what the Bible would call, the biblical authors would say, a cosmic worldview. And they don't understand the interaction between spiritual, the unseen realm, and the natural realm. They don't understand the whole idea about spiritual agendas and intellectual developments. And they don't see the connection. But to someone like the early church, Paul, the apostles, certainly the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the well-accepted scholarship around this is in an ancient Near Eastern worldview. The idea of gods having a God space and interacting with humanity in everyday affairs, thinking, worshipping and those things was very, very real. And since Enlightenment and since the Reformation, these ideas have been eroded and diminished to the point where postmodernism now steps in and its goal is to remove the whole idea of God and the interaction of the spiritual realm with the natural realm. So most of the church is now only seeing things in one dimension and missing the bigger narrative. And and that is causing it to be impotent in the spiritual dimensions it's meant to move in. So now let me talk about moving in spiritual dimensions in respect to Adelaide. All right, I've been to Adelaide now three times. Yeah, I am very excited about your city, Paul. I see Adelaide as a furnace uh, that's going to basically light a fire that spreads out over the whole nation. I mean, I, I, I kind of just see that in the spirit. It's like it's going, you know. But anyway, yeah. what's been going on in Adelaide, like before, during, and after this election? How has this impacted the city from your vantage point? Well, you know, I think not only in the natural was there a genuine sigh of relief uh, amongst people uh, because we, we were concerned about what religious freedoms would look like and, and the agenda we knew we were up against. And the, the reality is that, that leading up to the election, there was incredible spiritual pushback. Um, and the two keys of spiritual warfare, praise and praying in tongues and praying the word of God. And, and you would know that better than anyone else, how strategic and powerful that is, is that the, we started to learn just how powerful this is. And so we just happened to have a, a conference on leading up to and, and during the election in Adelaide with uh, Dr. Kevin Zadai, and, and he's been on Sid Roth, and he's an amazing, amazing man. He, he and Kathy are just such a wonderful example of the forerunning of what I think is going to come into the body of Christ uh, around the world. And his story is amazing. But 
part of what was going on was we were starting to understand just how powerful the spiritual activities of worship and praying in the spirit and praying strategically the words of God as legislation is in creating spiritual tsunamis, if you will. And on the Saturday night of the election, and, and as we were praying, um, and, and Dr. Kevin Zadai and his wife were with us, and, and he had prophesied, and it was just an incredible night of worship. What I saw, I went into a vision, and I saw an epicenter. Uh, and it was like an atomic bomb going off in the spirit that there was an epicenter in Adelaide and that the spiritual seismic activity was rippling all through the nation. And if only regional churches would understand when you come together, because there were many visitors from other churches, it was a conference. If the church would understand its unity regionally, it creates epicenters of what is equivalent to a, an atomic blast in the spirit. And, and, and what is amazing is that when Dr. Kevin Zadai was talking about this in his book, um, he, he said, and he tells the story about Dr. Kevin Zadai is that he, that he died um, on a, a routine dental procedure, engaged, went to heaven, engaged Jesus, and Jesus started to teach him about some things. And he came back, and then he's had visitations, angelic visitations and encounters with Jesus since then. But he's had to hold a message for 23 years. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, I mean, Mary treasured some things in her heart for 30-something years until she activated Jesus with the new wine and the miracle at Cana. But he had to steward. And, I mean, his journey is an amazing one. But there was a timing in the release of the revelation. It's not new revelation. It's old. It's old apostolic teaching, the same teaching Jesus taught the early church is being reiterated again about the kingdom. And, and so what we recognize is something's being diminished, something's being lost that has to be recovered, that's available. It's a, it's a shift of our mindsets, a shift of our paradigm to come into a, this, what I call an, a Near Eastern ancient worldview or a biblical author's worldview. And so he, he, one of the things he emphasized was God said, watch every idle word. Your words matter. And one of the things that Kevin brilliantly unpacked was what the church has to understand is you are designed to be spiritual ruling class on the earth, kingdom priests. That whole function, that idea of identity and purpose has been largely lost in the, in the contemporary church. And so to reestablish that, we have to reestablish our identity and our function and one of the things we understand is that, that as a spirit being in a body that has a soul, your words carry governmental weight. And a lot of people don't understand this, but your words are important. That's why Jesus said, be careful about what you speak. Every idle word will be judged. And, and Kevin says, Jesus looked in his eyes and he said, and I'm serious. <laughs> why? Because you've got to understand who you are and your words matter. You're shaping things through your word one way or another. You understand what I'm saying? And, and so these things started to line up for us to say, we are being repositioned in old truths, bringing old understanding into a contemporary world. 
so that we know how to understand who we are and what we're called to do. And one of the things that fascinates me with this, and, and this has been really on our, our mind, if we're creating epicenters and spiritual seismic activity, if you will, that is literally going through the spirit realm, then our prayers, although they're unseen in effect in the unseen realm, we think we're just praying in, in the spirit or doing these things. They're actually destroying and demolishing things in their sight. You, you know, you're actually shifting spiritual forces over regions. Now, Paul talks about this all the time. And, and he says, this is your warfare. And I don't think the church has really grasped it. Unfortunately, the- Paul, I think you're right. And I, I always like to remind people, you know, what we're going in and especially when I'm, I'm doing work one-on-one sessions or in a group of intercessors and, you know, we've been to pray and everyone begins to see stuff. It's like, guess what? It's real. <laughs> it's really yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 it, and it's phenomenal. So the, so the idea that there's an unseen realm, and we've talked about this a lot, but the unseen realm interacting with the seen realm for many believers is a what the heck. It, it, it's really, but it's what the biblical authors well understood. It was not even another thought. And what we've done is we superimposed an enlightened materialism back into the text and said, well, that's how they must have thought. No, they didn't. That's not how they thought. Their lexicon's not built out of that. Their vocabulary's not built out of that. Their, their development's not. Their worldview understanding was necessarily spiritual, the unseen and the seen, functioning, engaging each other. And we've got to understand that in, through Deuteronomy, God was clearly saying that there were boundaries in geography that related to spiritual heights and depths and Come dimensions. On. Come on. And so... You've got to, that's why we need to possess the geography because it has a spiritual reality into the heavens of what sits over a city and a nation. So it, it, I think we're coming into a phase is where I'm leading to Uh is that there is a shift happening in Adelaide. It's, it's happening in Australia, but I don't think it's just there. I think it's happening in lots of other places. There is, if you will, a rising tide that looks political, but actually spiritually orientated to push back the agenda of darkness that's operating in the intellectual and political realm, but is actually spiritually motivated. I think that Australia, let me just say this, but you know, I talk about sheep nations, Paul. And yes. one of the things that I, I believe this for a long time, that they will essentially be entire geographies influenced by the kingdom of God reigning in and through the hearts of men. And that reigning in the hearts of men will guide and shift policy and systems in the land, um, unlocking untold blessings for people. And, uh, you know, I really think that God wants Australia to demonstrate this. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a prophecy a long time ago that Australia is the great Southland of the Holy spirit. 
<laughs> and, um, you know, we, we, we felt last year at the South Australian Prophetic Conference that um, there was quite a shift that was going to come out of the South. Uh, and, and we look, there's been a spiritual wrestle. Um, in, in anyone through the last few years that hasn't had any level of pushback spiritually or hasn't been through some turmoil or, or, or some kind of spiritual battle, well, you're just not alive. Um, it, the reality is that th there, is a, there is an ongoing engagement in the spiritual atmosphere over the city. But the, the, the really good news is that, that if we understand how Jesus builds his church on, on, on the proper foundations, we, we understand that the idea of the ecclesia there is a borrowed term. You know, it, it, it's a legislative assembly for the benefit of others. The church doesn't exist for the benefit of itself. It's, it benefit, it's the benefit of a city, of a nation, because God wants to restore people, cities, and nations. I mean, that's, that's the classic whole idea. He wants to take the world out of this brokenness and this disorder, this chaos and this calamity, this poverty, this fear, this lack. And, and bring it back into alignment. And that's the whole idea of the, of the Prince of Peace coming, the kingdom of peace coming, it revealing the wisdom of God to bring things back into godly prospering and alignment. I can't imagine anyone not wanting that, whether you believe in Jesus or not. You know, can you imagine the world say, no, please leave us in our mess? No. please. So, so, so for me, the church has to understand who she is together not just as a minister, not just as a person, not just in a gift, but who are you when you come together, when, when, when you come and you join this idea of the fulfillment of John 17. See, see John 17, Jesus says, and, and, and I've given you my glory so that. It's the, you, you can, and this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a new level of the glory being carried by those who want to push into this and yield to the moving of the Holy Spirit that will cause something that we could never achieve in our own self to take place. What's that? Unity. The motives of the division in the church is flesh. It's our ideas of our own good ideas about what God's saying. The spirit of religion is based through the flesh, as Paul would say, the apostle. Hmm. And so we've got the church has to shift into her life, the administration of the New Testament, which is the spirit and the administration of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and empowering us. And when we learn how to become yielded to the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus teaches, just as, I'm sorry, just as Jesus lived and just as Paul teaches and he himself lived, we activate the solutions to the problems at hand. We engage a spiritual revelatory realm that operates, renews our mind and operates through us so we can do what Jesus did. And he destroyed the works of the enemy. Now, somehow yeah. or other, we, we've lost that off of our job description. And let me just finish this, Daniel, because Jesus said the church he's building on the revelation of who he is, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against. Now, that's not a defensive position. It's saying all the onslaught by the ecclesia against the authority of hell. Hell cannot contain the onslaught. And the church has been acting as victims and defensively instead of as sons, kings, and priests and offensively to push back and drive out darkness. Come on. 
And that's so true. You know, I mean, look, the gates of hell were meant to be kicked down and walked over. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, behind those gates are people's livelihoods, their families, uh, their wealth, their birthrights, because it's all stolen. Christians all over the planet. All their stolen goods are sitting behind gates. And it's time to kick the gates down. That's the whole concept. And it's done through a superior legislative body that can overwhelm an inferior legislative body, which would be any court of hell or any determining factor beneath the realms of the third heaven, with the uh, verdicts and the decisions that are coming from that place that that's the church right so it's it's just absolutely so clear here's the thing this is one of the reasons paul why i am just so excited about you because you get it (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to (laughs) (laughs) and and this is the other thing uh folks if, if you haven't met uh well most of you have not met paul's spirit uh my gosh talk about a mighty mighty man he's already getting uncomfortable but I'll tell you what, his really, really big. And he has a gavel and he is literally a, uh, 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 an authority in the region. And, and, and this is the, the interesting thing. You know, I get so excited about the, the, you know, people connecting with their spirits, Paul, because what you're talking about, getting into the spirit world and creating shifts, through the word of God, through um, strategic prayer, through engaging with the heavenly sphere. When we begin to do that with our spirit, what we're, what we're able to do is rearrange the reality set up there. And with the agreement of an obedient, submitted soul, take hold of what's been shifted, pull it in and manifest it into the yes. natural. And yes birth it in a way that gets grounded out. That's what the church is supposed to do. Rearrange with Jesus and then birth the realities into the natural. And I am absolutely convinced now's the time. Absolutely. And I, and, and if I can say this, one of the, one of the keys that we, we're coming to understand and it, is that Paul meant seriously that the flesh, the old, the fallen flesh, you know, the whole story about the flesh, the fallen thinking and those things and the appetite of the desire um, of the lusts of the flesh are at odds with the things of the spirit. And so you, the whole idea is that you live completely, not only yielded to, to Jesus, but you live, you live yielded to Jesus through the yieldedness, the complete surrender to the Holy Spirit. And, and when you think about that, you can't properly engage the word of God and get a revelatory understanding without being yielded to the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that brings the, the illuminating light onto the true meaning and the present words, the activating words of God so that, that the, every present word has an ability to perform it. And Jesus said, I live by every word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. Why? Because he was walking fully in the Holy Spirit. You see, this is what the church has forgotten. And if we will yield ourselves and adopt the spiritual disciplines and the tools 
that Paul clearly talks about to, to Timothy, to the church, and says, when you develop these, what I call spiritual disciplines, from a heart of love for the Father and the Son, for a heart of love of understanding who you really are, when you, when you start to come to the reality of who you really are, which has been kept from most of the church because of bad theology, the potential that hum- Christians, born-again, spirit-filled, yielded Christians, consecrated Christians, carry to bring forward and establish God's word on earth as it is in heaven is phenomenal. There are no limits in the heavenly realm. The limitation in our thinking, the limitation in our faith, the limitation comes because we still live out of a fallen paradigm instead of a heavenly paradigm. And yet Paul teaches this very clearly. Put your thoughts on things above, not below. Think about what has already been established, what is already yes in Jesus, what has already been established, what has already been written in your scroll, Psalm 139. The perfect will of God is what he's already written, what he's already placed in you when he knitted you together in your mother's womb. You're not a chance. You're not an accident. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how you come into the world. You've come from the Father. And when you came, there was a book written before you were even knitted together, before you were born. There was a book, Psalm 139, with every day, with the opportunity for you to fulfill what God hardwires in your spirit for you to manifest on earth. That's too, even King David said, this is too wonderful. It's too amazing. It's like it's beyond me to understand. And the reality is God's going before us. My goodness me. Well, he is setting the path before us, Daniel. This is and the thing, Paul. This is the thing we've got to understand. The Bible says we have been saved by grace through faith. And that yeah. not of yourselves, it is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ, Christ Jesus, Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, I'm telling you again, I wrote a book and it has your name on it. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. What keeps people disconnected from their books, Paul? Fallen world, fallen thinking, living out of the, out of the flesh, as Paul describes it biblically. Wrong thinking keeps us out of this. And, and the wrong thinking puts limitations. And those limitations, when the soul comes up, when the soul isn't consecrated and yielded to the spirit, the revelatory realm that God wants to give us gets blocked. And so we, we live in a way that limits the Holy Spirit being free within us. And when the Holy Spirit's allowed to be free within us and we cultivate that reality and live from the empowering presence of God within us, We become the Eden reality on earth. My goodness me. The Eden reality is this, that when when on the sixth day man was created, but the seventh he was set apart to be holy and to enter God's rest. The whole idea when God entered his rest from ancient Near Eastern point of view was that the deity would come into the temple, which was the garden, and it was massive. 
and thought is that it had a mountain, <laughs> which no. was a throne. <laughs> Please don't say that word, Paul. <laughs> and, and so this is the thought that surrounds it from scholars. And, and if we start to understand it, what was going on, well, Old Testament scholars understand this very view. These are the experts in this thought say, well, listen, the whole idea was the deity would come in. Now, when a deity comes in to the temple, it's not just the presence of God. It's the angelic realm. It's the whole governmental realm. When a God came into the temple, he brought his governmental realm so with him so that you get Eden is the meeting place between heaven and earth. God calls us now his dwelling place where he wants his glory to manifest. That's his whole governmental realm. Oh my goodness me. Wanting to dwell, not just in a believer because we carry the glory, but amongst the believers joined together with one heart and one mind. You activate that realm through praise and worship, declaring your loyalty and your allegiance to the one true king. I mean, a reformed scholar, G.K. Bill, wrote a beautiful work called You Become Like That Which You Worship. So what you behold, you become. And so this whole idea of Eden is the restoration that we've come back to the reality where we have access in the heavenly realms once again. We're no longer outsiders, we're insiders. We're no longer at the door knocking to come in, we're inside moving out. We've come into the holy of holies. We are the holy of holies. That's too great for people to grasp because we're still thinking from the wrong context, the wrong paradigm, the wrong indicators, because we're not understanding what the biblical authors were talking about. Pregnant pause. You know, Paul, you said a few things there, and I'm, I'm trying to control myself. Because I'm feeling something moving around. I think his name is the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I'm on now. But the thing is, the thing, you know, this is the thing. One of the things that God showed me recently is, is, is you know, look, Isaiah 2.2. And, you know, the mountain of the Lord shall be established at the tops of the mountains and the government will flow from Mount Zion, right? And, you know, um, while I do think that there is a future prophetic context for that passage. This has been a major, major passage being used by a large component of the body of Christ to describe some of the things that God's trying to bring in right now. And, you know, the interesting thing is that, yes, God is trying to bring the government of Zion into the earth. He is. But here's one of the missing pieces and, and, and a huge connection that I made recently because, you know, you brought up mountain. And, you know, it was I last said mountain. Year, <laughs> said mountain, said mountain, and it was last year that God had me understanding, look, we all have a mountain in the spirit realm. It's part of our inheritance in Christ. And so we started going to the mountain and I went with people to their mountain to explore their mountain. I explored my mountain somewhat, you know, and, it, and when you begin to explore the mountain in the spirit, you, you connect with all kinds of stuff that Jesus has given us that you didn't know you had. Like I, I found stuff I didn't know I had. And I'm like, wow, this is really cool. And so it's like an activation, right? So we begin playing with the mountains. And then what I realized, 
was that the government of Zion is actually established at the tops of our mountains, which means that when I go to the top of any person's mountain in the spirit world, navigating their inheritance in Christ, we cross realms and we are suddenly in the realm of the cloud of the witnesses. And so we find tents of meeting and all kinds of things at the tops of these mountains. It's like, whoa, you know, I, I did a sermon series on some of this to break it open. But here's even the cooler thing. The cooler thing is that we've recently learned how to take the mountain and with specific prayer language, use it to yeah. superimpose its presence on physical geographies to open up trade routes in the spirit between heaven and earth and superimpose the government of Zion yeah. as a prayer strategy. And like we were saying before, what happens in the spirit world is actually happening. Yeah. And so now it's like, whoa, this is, Paul, this is off the charts power. So absolutely. And my own experience of this, Daniel, was um, uh, my wife and I, um, with some, some other ministers from Adelaide, uh, went into Peru. And, and we went with uh, an American evangelist who had been working in Peru extensively. And we were praying before we were leaving, as we do for, for all of these things. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, he says, you, you, don't, you don't have a sphere of authority in Peru. And this is the language the Holy Spirit used to me. I want you to join your mountain with Jim's mountain. That was the man that we were going into. In other words, he had been given a metron or a sphere of influence to carry government into that region. And I was to join my mountain with his mountain. Now, I knew what that meant. It meant I was to come into submission with his metron and thereby come up into his mountain and then the mountains would work together. Now, that's the language that was used to me. Now, if you, if, you, if you read an ancient text of Enoch, that's the language of authority. Jesus uses that same thing, and you can talk to this mountain, and you can shift it. Are you with me? So you're getting the picture. And so when we went into a particular region, we went into a place called Arequipa, and we, we, we were told not to go in because there was a minor strike at that stage. Uh, and there'd been a death through the strike, and it was qu quite complicated what was going on there. <clears throat> and the long story short is that we went in under a strategy, and the media were there, and, and, and it was just the wisdom of God, and we did the crusades, but we were doing meetings with pastors. And we were told that we wouldn't be received. And because of the religious spirit that was sitting over the city. Now, what the Holy Spirit says is, whoever sits in the mountain over the city controls the activity that goes on at the base of the mountain. Whoa. In other words, if you govern spiritually, you will release freedom naturally. The corruption in the earth is based on what sits over the region. There's a clear link between the spiritual atmosphere and the earthly realities. Why? Because we know there are spirit realms activating with geographical powers to create chaos. We know that. that. Paul talks about that in his letters. But we know that from one Enoch as well. 
in the night, those pals came to us in the middle of the night and intimidated us and told us we needed to get out and we needed, needed to go because they were going to kill us. <laughs> immediately, immediately that you rebuke it in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and says, you're going nowhere. This is what you're going to preach. Okay. And would lay out word for word what you would then, and it just wasn't just happening to me, it was happening to others as well. So the whole strategy was that we knew what we had to shift, but the Holy Spirit was giving us instruction on what to say, how to preach from the text that would win the hearts of the gatekeepers, of the pastors. And by the end of the meeting, we were dealing with the, the local powers. We were dealing with what had been sitting over the church in the region. And the pastors came forward, repented in tears, came back to the heart of the Father, and finding their true identity, they took up their new function. Now, we now know that the after we left, the strike finished, things came back into order, and things that were corrupt got flushed up. Why? Because whoever sits in the spiritual gate in the mountain controls the atmosphere that manifests into the earth. And that's just a simple biblical principle that, the, that for whatever reason, we've misunderstood. And, you know, the, I think that that's why in the old world, all of these occultists, these followers of Baal and Ashtaroth and all these, they went in and they built high places on all right. the hills and the mountains. Yeah. It was a reflection of we're going to marry the high places to the realms of the second heaven, second heaven jurisdiction, evil yep. entities, given the governance over these regions. And it, it was an absolute counterfeit. 100%. And in fact, that, that counterfeit started through Nimrod wanting yes. to build the ziggurat at Babel. So the Tower of Babel was not them trying to ascend. It was a counterfeit Eden to get them to come down. They were creating a, a counterfeit mountain of the Lord to get the deities to come down hmm. so that they could worship them and establish uh, what would be, in effect, an illegal governmental realm at the exclusion of God. You know, this... This is always happens, Paul, where we start talking and then we end up somewhere real deep. But I need, I, I need to ask you this question. How is this going to play out for Adelaide and Australia in the coming years? What is the Lord speaking? He's like, okay, shift time, shift season. All this new stuff coming in, new technologies, new strategies, revelation that's being re-inspired, that has the capacity to really change things at a deep level. When, when the church comes out of a, a theological understanding that puts limitations on God and themselves, and they come to the revelation of Jesus Christ again through the yieldedness to the Holy Spirit, these revelations are going to be quickened to them and they're going to start to understand who they really are and what they're really called to live in the world. They're going to start to understand that, that their books of destiny are being outworked and that every, every single believer 
God has had a thought towards them about what they would accomplish through their life. It will give purpose and direction and vision back to the church. If you don't have vision, you perish. You, you, you don't know where you're going. You're just coming along. You're just sitting in a pew. You're just, you, you're not even engaged. But if you understand the power of what you're doing when you're coming together, if you understand the power of what you're doing when you're praising together, when you're praying together, see, prayer, prayer exalting and magnifying the name of God, praise that exalts and magnifies the name of God, that we, we've gone away from it. We, we, we've gone away to self-magnification instead of God magnifying. When you magnify his name, when you radiate his name through your praise, he inhabits it. His governmental realm steps into it. The glory is at hand because the glory in you is coming out into your praises. And the glory, there's the realm that you establish. There's a governmental spiritual realm that you establish. And it starts to push back darkness. And when, and when you start to sit under the word that's anointed, it, there is something that goes on and there's a transforming that goes on you when you sit and listen to hear the word with a teaching mindset, not just a bored mindset. When you say, I'm on a learn, why? Because I want to learn so I can become who I'm meant to become. And so I think the anointing on the pulpits are going to change. I think the, the way we teach is going to change. We're going to come into far more revelatory prophetic teaching. And this is really needed as long as it's based on sound doctrine not limited doctrine and some of the doctrines we've inherited, which are more philosophical than they are what Jesus taught. And, 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 it, and, and when we get to the words that Jesus taught, it has eternal value. It has spiritual force and governmental force. And as we receive those words and we take hold of them and we start to live in them and we start to let them become a part of us, there'll be a transformation that we haven't seen before. So this idle Christianity can't cope with with the reality of what God wants to bring the church into. And sadly to say, we get to choose in this. And and it's all through scripture. Some some will embrace it, some won't. And that's okay. God loves you, but you you you'll be like a man escaping through the flames. You'll have salvation, but what have you done with it? What did you do? And 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 here's the here's here's the saddest bit for me. If God has been so diligent to write a book concerning you of all of his thoughts, and he said, on every thought that I have towards you, every day I will go ahead of you and I will prepare a way for you for you to succeed. I will work with you to push back all darkness and to establish my kingdom realm. I will work with you and you will work with me, not for me, with me. We co-labor, as Paul says. That's right. We co-labor. We are the earthly reality of, of the heavenlies. And we are spirit beings operating in a human body into this world. And it looks like something tangible. It looks like something transformational. And, and, and when we start to carry the glory, we'll start to carry the heart of God, the father heart of God. And he has been preparing a people through the preparing of the heart for years now. The, 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 the issue that God's really been saying, saying, I want a place I can dwell, but I'm going to have to come into your heart and rearrange a few things because your, your, your heart is cluttered. I find it amazing that the first parable that Jesus teaches is the parable of the sower, but it should be the parable of the heart, the parable of the good soil. 
And, and, and so Jesus has been working through the power of his word and the Holy Spirit to prepare good soil, good hearts. Why? Because when his glory comes, he will manifest himself in a new way. And that is what has begun. That is what has begun. And so the journey that a lot of the church has been through, certainly many people in Australia have been through, and other parts of the world has been the journey of the heart to prepare a dwelling place that is without limitation so the Holy Spirit can be truly free to be himself so the glory of God can dwell in us and radiate through us. And when we see that, we're going to see unity. We are going to then be able to attract the world again. We are going to be able to attract the world because we will be, if you like, like little Jesus. You know, what I love about the story of Jesus, the world, the sinners, love to be around him. The religious hated him. The religious are never happy with someone like a Jesus, with the glory of God. They operate under two separate spiritual influences. But what the world's looking for is an authentic Christ, an authentic church with the glory of God touching their heart, unlocking them, bringing them out of bondage, into freedom, bringing realignment into cities and nations so that the Prince of Peace can come in, so the government of his peace can be established, so he can bring order in disorder. He can bring light into the darkness. And I think we're going to see an acceleration of that in Australia. Okay. That's really exciting. Where, oh, where, does economics play into all of this? Because, Paul, if there's something that I think God's speaking to you about, I know he's speaking to me about, yeah. economics. Because economic yeah. policy is part of the government of heaven. Yeah, It's written all over the world. Jesus talked yeah. more about money than he did about salvation yeah. and several other subjects. Yeah. Where does economics meet the conversation we're having, Paul? Well, I, I think we have to understand that there are two systems of wealth. There is the system of mammon, which will bind you and you'll never have enough because the system of man, mammon is based on the sweat of the brow. It's based on a cursed fallen paradigm that's designed to keep you in bondage, fear, loss, and lack. And Jesus clearly deals with that when he says, do not worry. When he says, seek first the kingdom, he reorientates the conversation to say, when you live from the ways of the kingdom, wealth doesn't become a problem for you. It's attracted to you because it brings forward a governmental realm of kingdom that destroys the spirit of mammon. Does that make sense? You see, we, we, we've got to understand that, that the fallen system is a cursed system. But there is a system of wealth, which is a godly system, which is designed to create the governmental realm that displaces the sweat of the brow system. Let me, let me give you an example. Deuteronomy 8 clearly says that when you settle down and you're in your fine houses, now a prosperity doctrine people jump all over this and those that don't like prosperity doctrine deny it. But there is a healthy place of understanding what I'm saying about provision and wealth creation strategies. And God says, when you settle down in these houses, do, 
Do not forget the Lord your God. Who gave you the ability to create wealth? Wealth was assigned to the nations of the governmental realm of God to his glory when it's stewarded correctly. The problem of wealth is the love of it, getting your identity in it. And Jesus said to the, to the rich man, you're going to have a problem because if your identity in your life is attached to your wealth, you've got a problem. But can I say in another way, we've got this problem in the church that our identity is actually associated with our poverty. Come on, I've been saying that. You got to preach that harder. Both are in error in my respectful view. Both are in error. We need to find a healthy understanding of what it is for wealth creation strategies to manifest the earth and what it means to the governmental realm of God to displace fear, loss, and lack and poverty. The example I always use of God's ability to provide, and he says this clearly over and over, and he will meet all your needs in glory. He, we know the story, don't we, of him feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000, and he repeats this miracle twice as of emphasis. But, the, but the, the problem was the disciples were slow on the uptake. On the first time he, he goes to feed the 5,000, he says, what you're not allowed to do is abandon the need of others that is present. If the church is poor, how will it not do anything but abandon the need of others? Are you with me? You're not allowed to abandon, because he says, send them away. This is what the disciples said, send them away. He says, no, 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 what are you going to do? And he invites them in to the reality of not only the Abrahamic covenant of provision, but the Amada prayer, that they, the prayer of benediction, they've been praying three times a day. You see, they were praying one way and living another, praying one way and believing another. So he says, it's not okay for you to send them away because I've called you to be the provider to those who are in need. Come on. So he says, I have compassion on them. What are you going to do? Well, we got the bucks but the shop's too far away. Well, what have we got? And it's all about the seed and understanding how the kingdom works. It says we got five loaves and a couple of fish. Okay, give them to me. So Jesus holds them up to the Father. He never asks for a thing. He gives thanks. He already knows it's God's will to make provision for the needy. Seek first the kingdom the ways of the kingdom. And God will take care of all your needs. All the thing the world goes after, God says, I got it covered and more. You with me? And, and, and so what happens is we see the miracle manifest, but he brings the disciples into the miracle that they may experience the reality of the covenant that he's made, the Abrahamic covenant and the thanksgiving to what is already yes in heaven. Now, what the church has to understand is every promise, Paul says, is already yes in Jesus, to which we bring the amen, so be it, let it be established on earth as it already is in heaven. We are always praying from the fullness and we're giving thanks for what already is available. What's the trigger? Don't move away from what God wants you to be a provider in. Whoa. Here's the thing. Sense. 
That is so good. And, and when you say, look, 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 here's the thing, here's the thing. People often give the rich young ruler a really bad rap because yeah. Jesus said, give away everything that you have and follow me. Yeah. He could not do it. But yeah. I'll tell you what. Give a poor Christian a handout and tell them to give it back. And they will cling to that thing for dear life. Yeah. Just as firmly as the rich young ruler. In other words, you don't have to be rich to have an issue with God's economic policies. Absolutely. So we have arguments about tithing and giving. Why? Why? Because you're not free on the issue of provision and wealth. See, it cuts both ways. It's, it, it's both, I'm not free because I find my identity in my wealth, therefore I can't give it up. The other side of the same coin is, I can't give anything because if I give it, what will I have? I'm under the spirit of this world, which is fear, loss, and lack. Both are the spirit of the world. You understand what I'm saying? But when you are yielded to the Holy Spirit and you know the generosity of the Father, when you know that you want to be like him, the first thing you've got to understand is God is generous with 12 basketfuls running over. He exceeds, abundantly exceeds all you can ask for or all you can imagine. God is not limited. The limit is on our side because we operate out of a fallen system one way or another instead of coming into God's governmental system, yielded to the Holy Spirit and learning and wanting to be like the Father. I am actually convinced that these books and scrolls that you talk about, Paul, include statements such as, and Paul will be very rich. Do you know why I believe that? Because God said of Abraham, I will make him very rich, which means that it was written. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said it. And if God did it for him, he's no respecter of persons. See, there are people who actually will uh, create, build, and ascertain wealth because it is written of them. Some people think God only wrote this in the books of those that serve Lucifer. Therefore, we have the saying, you want to know what God thinks about money? Look at who he gives it to. Well, for some of us, God's trying to give it to you. But Paul, this is one of the things I've noticed. When a person has a fundamental incapacity to pass the test that prove that their hearts are pure on the issue of wealth and money and resource, God has to keep pulling it back. They never get to chapter 10. You will be very rich because they can't read past chapter 7 you will forsake all you have and follow me. Yeah. So the issue is the issue of the heart. Come on. So if God is in the business of restoring the heart, he's in the business of restoring the heart on all things, not just some things. God wants to be able to pour out the necessary wealth and finances to the church to fulfill his plans and purposes and to run over and to bless the world. He, our God is a God of more than enough, not just enough. 
And the, the limitation is because of the, of the thinking and the things of the heart. And, 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 and when you come into the freedom of God, you'll be able to steward effectively as trustees what really belongs to God in any event. Last time I looked, he owns everything on the earth and we own everything as a legal right that's in heaven. We got it the wrong way around. We have legal right to the heavenly inheritance of the kingdom, which is without limitation. Clearly, the scripture says, I own the earth and everything in it. Humanity, kings and priests in right relationship with God were to be trustees, to steward the glory that will cover the earth, to bring alignment of what that's in Eden, which was without lack. Paul, I, I need to bring something up here. Okay. Imminent domain is where a government comes in and takes territory and land because it has jurisdictional ability to do so. Mm-hmm. I believe the body of Christ is moving into a season eventually where we lay hold of imminent domain and the heavenly strategies and protocols to execute it in the earth. Yeah. See, the, what we've got to understand is that the, the, the benefit of releasing the dominion of God over a region is that everyone prospers within the region, not just believers. Unbelievers prosper because of, this, because of the kick-on effect, the flow-on effect of believers prospering. That's the Abrahamic blessing. But you need a geography, everything, everything on earth, and it's, this is a pattern all through the Old Testament, that you've got to understand geography and dominion and spiritual dominion all working together. See, if a city is poor, can it prosper? If a city is prosperous, it also includes its wealth, its finances, its minerals being mined and released. It has the ability to make provision for healthcare, for looking after the needy, for the poor. It, it has the ability to be able to care for all. Mm. But if a city is poor, how do we care for others? We send them away. Yes. And Jesus, and Jesus says you don't get to send them away. Mm-hmm. What we're not allowed to do is send the issue away. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus, you, you don't get to send them away. And so I think we have to, we have to rethink some of these things and we have to come to a, it, it, a, to a new biblical understanding of, of, of how this works and fits together. And we've had, you know, different parts of it come through the word faith movement and this movement and that movement. Now, each carry a measure of truth. But I, what I believe will happening in this hour, and can I just say the example of a Dr. Kevin Zedai is the example of this. It's bringing the whole council of God together. It's bringing the whole council of God. Because every movement had a part, but what does it look like when you bring all the parts together? You get a bigger, you get the multifaceted wisdom of God working together. You see the bigger picture. 
And I think that's what God's trying to do. But if we stay in our camps, if we stay locked up in our theological denominational mindset, the difficulty is we could miss a parallel truth that sits neatly alongside to expand our thinking, which will shape our reality. Man, oh man. I think God uh-huh. wants to move us out of limitation to being without limitation. And that's a bold statement because we think in a fallen mindset of fear, loss, and lack, limit, limit, limit. And last time I checked, God was out, was, is without limit. Paul, I must concur. (laughs) I I think we, I just, there will be a wrestle for this. And I know there'll be a wrestle for this because, because the, the, just as much as we have scrolls written for us and God calls, goes ahead of us and he comes behind us. He hems us in uh, as the Psalm says, and just as we have angels that are assigned to us to fulfill this work, according to God's word that he's already written for us. We've got to understand that we've got an enemy that doesn't want us to succeed at all. Not at all. And sometimes we get into this trap that it's just, just between me and God. And we remove ourselves from the proper spiritual context of what's really going on in the unseen realm. And so when we understand we're in a cosmic battlefield, when you understand that, that you're called to be a spiritual warrior, not a spiritual warrior, but a spiritual warrior, and that you, de- you, de- you designed in God to use that plan and purpose to drive out darkness and bring order in disorder, to bring love and peace where there's been rejection and, and, and disorder. When you start to see things from the kingdom point of view, you will start to see that your role in this world is so amazing and you no longer have to play the victim. The church has been playing victim because it's been passive. And when you're passive, you're not fulfilling what God's called you to fulfill. And when you're out of alignment with, with what is written on your scroll, you won't prosper. And so the church is not prospering. There's many people not prospering. They're saying, what's going on? Well, you need to come back to God's perfect, pleasing, acceptable will for your life that he's written concerning you. He's waiting for you. And he's done everything. I think he's just getting everyone back on track. Come on. And that's always what he does from generation to generation. I, I, I think so, Paul. I, I, I find that this is a very exciting time to be alive. Absolutely. It's so exciting. I think the biggest harvest that the world's ever seen is just around the corner. But the way we go about it looks different. Yes. Than how we've ever gone about it. I think there's a wisdom and there's a strategy. How to reach people. And, you know, in a broken world, what are people looking for? Value, dignity, worth the supernatural or the spiritual has to ground out into these attributes why because we are image bearers of christ we are image bearers of god 
of which Christ is the true representation. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. That's got to be that's got to be an aspiration of ours. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now you double that up with the idea that I think is on the cards that God's creating a church where He can dwell. He's creating a habitation that He's moving from revelation visitation to habitation. And this is something that Dr. Kevin Zedai talks about a lot from his encounter with Jesus. Then what's happening is God's restoring us back to being true image bearers into the world. And when, when we carry the love and truth of God together, not love without truth and not truth without love, but the love and truth, the loving kindness, the, the hesed of God with his eternal truths. I think, I think the world will be so drawn to that kind of authenticity with demonstrations of glory power, the harvest will come in. Paul, that is the word. I am uh, very excited uh, for people to press rewind and listen to what you said a second time because folks, (laughs) this program's loaded. But Paul, uh, we're going to have to do this again in the future. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> I know I'll get you back soon. Um, folks, you can find Paul at www.paultothill.com. Now he has a blog up there and you can find writings that he does. Now it's, it's, it's actually a really, really classy website. I, I, I like it a lot. And, <laughs> um, so, 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 so check that out. Of course, if you happen to be strolling through Adelaide, Australia for whatever reason give his church a visit and his church is called Gateway and it's in Adelaide and that's that's uh, is it gatewaychurch.org.au yeah gatewaychurch.org.au we're in uh, the north of Adelaide not the not the south of Adelaide the north of Adelaide yeah north of Adelaide Paul I want to say thank you so much for being guest thank you Daniel my pleasure folks until next time God bless And God bless. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.